Summertime is heating up at Global Voice Broadcasting. Hot music, hot talk, and hot topics. All day, every day, 24-7. You don't want to miss a minute on Global Voice Broadcasting. My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. If you want to achieve greatness, stop asking for permission. Unknown. I love this quote. I'm sitting here with Dr. Lori Bennett-Cook, a sex educator, surrogate partner therapist, counselor, coach, lecturer, and group facilitator here in Southern California. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to being here. I asked you to provide a quote Mm -hmm. that really resonates with you, and this one is beautiful. Tell us why it matters to you. You know, it just completely resonated. I saw it on a T-shirt when I was at Pride many years ago in San Francisco. Uh, And it just, there's so many things I'm too chicken to do in my life. And it just really resonated. Like, who... who am I waiting for permission from? Just just do those things that you want to do. Just yeah. do it. So powerful, which mm-hmm. it seems has played a huge role in your life mm-hmm. and your journey when it comes to working in, in sexuality, for sure. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you kind of got started on this career path. Oh, wow. Kind of a long story. Um, you know, I really didn't start my journey till I was probably in my early 30s. And it was, it's been quite experiential. I was always a very good little girl and I still am. Um, but I met a friend of mine and I had just come out of a divorce, uh, had been married for 17 years. And, you know, this friend encouraged me, said, you know, you should go out and do some exploring. You should check yourself out and see who you are experientially. And, and so I did. I, I started looking into how do I feel about myself sexually? I never pursued an education or a career in sexology. It just kind of came to me. Mm. Um, I was actually a law student, and just through my own experiences, I had multiple people start getting a hold of me and saying, this is what you should be doing. So there's a lot more to it than that, but I don't know how much you want me to go into it. So what, what, what were some of these experiential? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what your first experience was when you started to step out and try yeah. different adventures? My very first experience was I had only ever been – with one person who was my first husband. I was 33 years old and, you know, never really experienced sex. And we had been very religious. It was very pure and beautiful and, and, you know, it was good, but I didn't explore like my exciting, desirous fantasies. Um, So something that I did that I would not do today, and I don't even know how I had the guts to do it then, um, but I was at a Starbucks and I was sitting there getting my coffee, and there was a gentleman in line who offered to pay it for me. And I don't know where these words came from, but they just came out of my mouth. And I said, you know, you don't have to try that hard. I only left the house this morning to see if I could get laid. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I don't know where it came from. And he just went, okay. And a few minutes later, we were in the back of my Durango that I had at the time. Totally had sex with this person, and then I never saw him again. <gasps> wow. 
And then I was like, oh, I got to get to the grocery store. So I took off and I went to the grocery store (laughs) to get home to make dinner and all this kind of stuff. But it really hit me that, like, that just happened. My life is still the same. Um, You know, that was it was really fun. It was exciting. It was in my own power. Um, But then it also messed with my head, too, a little bit because I thought, you know, what does this mean about me as a person now that I'm willing to just take ownership of my sexuality like that? Yeah. That was the first time. Mm-hmm. That's a really scary and exciting feeling, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. That I think so many of us feel when we first start to go, oh, maybe I haven't fully empowered myself sexually. Or mm-hmm. maybe there have been influences that have kept me from Completely. really finding that and, and expressing myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I felt I, – I did – not things to that extreme again, but then I started experiencing, um, experimenting with other people. And I found myself, the biggest struggle wasn't my interaction with other people because I was having a great time and I was learning so much about myself sexually, but I struggled with feeling guilty about not feeling guilty, if that makes sense. It totally does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're raised with the belief that Mm -hmm. this is quote unquote bad. Right. Like sex at all, you know, which Mm -hmm. I think we were talking earlier, you had a religious background. And I think in some cases, that's what is underneath the surface. And we don't even Mm -hmm. realize how deep that shame goes. Right. Yeah. So were you still religious at that point? Um, I wasn't. I mean, I I still felt myself to be spiritual. And in spite of pursuing these things, I was, you know, always checking in with myself and surprised that those feelings and thoughts about myself and, and who I believed outside of myself hadn't changed. Um, but at the same time, then that messed with my head because I thought, how far have I fallen if I'm, you know, not feeling bad about doing these things? Um, but the more I would be my authentic self, the more spiritual I actually felt myself becoming. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I could see that. I could see yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. When did you start feeling less of that fear? Um, probably a couple years after that, f- well, a few years after that ex- that experience, um, I was at a motorcycle rally, and I had I was just walking the, the rally and walking around um, in Reno, right Harley also. And while I was there, I went up to this booth that was Mustang Ranch's booth, and I had always thought, oh, it would be so glamorous to be high-class prostitute, you know, because people pay you money to just worship you and be around you and have sex and how exciting. You know, I've, I never understood that, you know, why that wouldn't be a great chosen profession. Uh, so anyway, so I was there chatting with a lady and she said, you should come work for us. And I was like, yeah, thank you. You know, I'm not some 22-year-old platinum blonde, tight-bodied cutie. And she said, no, 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 you're just the type we want. We, you know, we want somebody who's older, who is more confident and knows themselves um, that's more what the businessmen are looking for. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And I just chatted with her for a little bit. Um, but it kind of left a spot, like a, planted a seed in my head. And so I, I went home, sat on it for like a year, read everything I could about um, sex, works on, sex work on all different levels. And at this time, I was still in law school. But I, I would say that this is probably when my interest in studying sex came about because Everything that I would read media-wise was really, you know, I mean, everything sex work was just like those poor women and the backgrounds they come from and how awful. But everything that I would read uh, that the women would write themselves was very positive and very empowering. 
So a year later, I was at the same rally, went around, and they had um, what they called the Cat House Poker Run. So it's this ride that you take on your Harleys, and you go tour brothel to brothel to brothel, and you get to check them out and talk to the girls that work there. I was really excited to do this. So got on my Harley, did the Cat House Poker Run, got to tour the different brothels, and I was like, this is cool. Like, you get to see it firsthand and interact with the people there. And the last stop was Mustang Ranch. And when I was there, I was looking at T-shirts and things, and um, the friend that was with, with me nudged me and said, hey, isn't that the, the lady that you saw last year? And I went, oh, yeah, I should go up and say hi. So I, I went up and I said, yeah, I met you last year. And she grabbed me by the wrist and she said, you never called, and we were expecting you. And I was like, huh. oh. <laughs> what is this? And she goes, I'd really like to interview you for a spot here. I went, okay. So she took me into the sister house, which is Wild Horse of Mustang, and we sat down and we had an interview, which was completely surreal because how you get interviewed to be a sex worker was amazing. But none of the interview had anything to do with sex. It was all about your perception about sexuality, um, interacting with different people and um, things like that. So she offered me a spot at the house and I left there. And as I left there, I thought, what a perfect opportunity to explore my own sexuality. And if I don't do this, I'm going to regret it. Mm, yeah. Powerful. Yeah. And exciting. Yeah. 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 So, so were yeah. you in a relationship at this time? Mm-hmm. And yeah. was this known? Were you open with mm-hmm. this work? Oh, very, and, very. And, it, yes. and that was okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And my partner was, you know, do what you want to do for yourself. We've yeah. Been, yeah. Very, very permission giving. It's just very... You do whatever makes you your full self and support that. Yeah, Beautiful. So what was the work like once you started? Was it what you expected? Completely not what I expected. It debunked every myth I ever had about sex work, everything, Um, which was the most beautiful part about being there. Uh, The client's amazing. You know, every once in a while you get somebody in there who's not very kind to the girls, but they usually don't end up having anybody spend time with them because... You know, I don't care how much money you have in your pocket. If you're going to be cruel, we're not going to hang out with you. Um, the girls were, for the most part, very sisterly. Um, it wasn't, at least my experience, just wasn't negative. I mean, I found I'm still in touch with a few of the girls there. It was very, it was like a second home. It was very, a lot of camaraderie and beautiful, very loving. Um, very few of them had abusive or drug backgrounds, probably not any more than you'd find in any other industry. Which is another huge Mm -hmm. misperception. Completely. Right? Which is so interesting. And a lot of people talk about the safety of of these Mm -hmm. girls. Mm -hmm. Did you feel safe as far as your sexual health and all of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We had a doctor that came through once a week, um, checked us, blood tests, anal swab, vaginal examination, everything, every single week, and kept you off the floor for 24 hours until all the tests came back. Condom use for everybody, for everything. There was the entire time that I worked there, and from what I understood, there weren't any cases of STIs being reported, um, which would be easy to track because if there are, they have to go through the CDC anyway. So it's not like they're hiding those those things too. So Sure. That's mm-hmm. huge. And how long did you I was there for work? a year. Okay. Yeah, which was just long enough because it started to feel like – work after a while. I didn't yeah. want it to feel like a job. It was a new adventure. You mm-hmm. were exploring, getting a lot for yourself Completely. out of it, sounds like. Yes. Amazing. So then yeah. what happened next for you as far as did you immediately go, okay, this is now the path I'm on? Yeah, I knew that my time there had just run its course, but I knew that I needed to work something in sexuality. Um, so I quit law school and I am one of those, I need to sign people, you know. 
And within a week or so, I started getting calls from other people um, that were like, hey, you need to come take this class or you should come work with us here. And and then I ended up back in grad school for sexology rather than law. So Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. What a great path. Mm-hmm. And it still is amazing. Completely. I love yes. that when we were discussing what you might talk about, it's like there's not really one main area. Mm-mm. You're so diverse, in, which I think is somewhat common in sexuality work, but your journey seems particularly eclectic. And I know that you said part of the reason is because you really go for the experiential Mm -hmm. stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you dive into things and you even mentioned you wanted to learn about BDSM Mm -hmm. and you went to a dungeon. Tell us about that. Yeah. When I was in school for sexology, there weren't really, there were a couple of panels they had come through about people talking about that. Um, where I loved, lived up in Northern California, there was a small community of people within the BDSM community that would come and ask for help on things, and I was really unfamiliar. Um, you can read about it all day long, but you can't really understand the psychology of something unless you have experienced that. So I found a course that was being taught by somebody at a dungeon in San Francisco, and I went down there and I lived in the dungeon for four days and just lived there and just... Uh, emerged my whole being immersed into this um all this whole world that is bdsm and then after that then i trained under one of the doms there for a while and then continued on with professional dominatrix work for a little while for myself yeah wow what was the dominatrix work like compared to your previous sex work um a lot of similarities i mean just different things that people like but everybody's looking for the same Overall, you know, everybody wants a connection, everybody wants a release, everybody wants the freedom to pursue what they want without any judgment or shame, whether that means a spanking or a cuddling. I mean, people have, everybody has something that they're in the closet about that they think is shameful. And, you know, they'd be most surprised that everybody has something that they're in the closet about that yeah. far more normal than, than they think. However kinky and strange that people tend to think they are, they're not. So... What did you love most about the sex work? Being that safe place, just hearing people come out of their closets and being able to reveal what it was that they wanted, that they liked, um, and seeing their relief that being able to say those things and having a response that was positive. Yeah. Yeah. Were you surprised by some of the things people were asking for? I was surprised not by the things that they were asking for. I was surprised that the things that they were asking for were things that they were ashamed of. Ah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like there was, um, for example, there was somebody that would come see me at the brothel that would pay hundreds of dollars just to rub, sniff, feet, suck toes, and things like that. But it was something he was so ashamed of that he couldn't find somebody outside of paid mm-hmm. sex work to just... To just do that for. And it seems like such a simple request as a partner. I mean, even if I'm not into it, I can be like, whatever, knock yourself out, you know? Yeah. yeah. So the, the shame, it's interesting because they perhaps haven't even considered that somebody might be open to that. And the sex worker may show them that actually mm-hmm. it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. You know? Unfortunately, I think that all too often that happens because people will say that's something they're interested in or they'll they'll lead with something kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to sniff her toes or something even jokingly off the cuff just to see how people respond to it. Yeah. And it doesn't take much for somebody to come back and say, like, dude, that's disgusting or, ugh, why would you want to? 
not realizing that's the core of somebody and just made them just like push that down farther. Yeah, that's a really mm-hmm. good point. Really good point. There's a lot of, of judgment. And, and even the word fetish mm-hmm. has this like huge stigma around it. Mm-hmm. Like it means there's something psychiatrically wrong with you. Right, right. Yeah, which is really sad. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, speaking of shame, we have a question from a listener. I would okay. love to hear your insight on. And also our resident sex and relationship expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, also is going to answer. This question comes from Joni, a.k.a. Sick of Obsessing. Joni wrote, I recently learned that my husband is bisexual. It shouldn't bother me, or so I keep telling myself. We've had a wonderful, committed relationship for seven years, but I'm feeling really uncomfortable, partly because I never knew he came out because an ex-boyfriend of his turned up at a reunion. To be honest, though, I feel like he somehow loves me less and has all along. I don't get it. I've never been jealous of other women, but knowing he's attracted to men as well just doesn't sit right with me, especially at the thought of sex. I'm afraid to tell him how much it hurts because I feel so judgmental. How do I get over this? Great question, Joni. Thank you so much for asking. Here is what Dr. Megan had to say. Joni, thanks for the question. And... You know, I think that um, a few things. I mean, I think part of what you're struggling with is that your husband hadn't shared with you uh, prior to it sort of getting discovered that he had um, interest and had sexual relationships with men as well as women. And I think it's sort of that issue around trust and what can feel like a betrayal of information that might in and of itself be, uh, you know, having you just sort of call into question so many different aspects of what he's told you or not told you and um, basically raise a level of anxiety around, you know, can I, you know, can I trust what I feel is true? Um, so my sense is you're really questioning your your own feelings, but also his feelings toward you. And that's Honestly, despite the fact that what I'm hearing is you've been married seven years and in a committed monogamous relationship. Um, And I think that that's, it's so important when we think about sexuality, we can sometimes feel threatened, you know, if our partner might be attracted to the opposite sex and perhaps feeling like, you know, how could I compete with that? But I can tell you sort of statistically, you know, a, a bisexual man or woman is not any more likely to cheat or leave than a straight one. Um, I think, you know, Lisa Diamond uh, wrote the book Sexual Fluidity, um, and it was sort of, you know, it's, it's geared towards women. Um, but I think the idea in her writing is understanding that love and desire, you know, for some of us, it's um, strictly specific to a single gender. And for other of us, it's love of a person, right? That the, the energy is not specific to gender, but an attraction to an individual that might be a woman or a man. And so my sense is, it's just, you've been sort of blindsided and surprised by a piece of information that um, I can understand and appreciate that on one hand, you would have hoped that your partner and husband would have disclosed. And I can also understand sort of my experience as a therapist. It's like when someone's had an affair and it's over um, and there's no intention or desire to uh, have, 
you know, sex with another person, um, that it's actually sometimes harder to sit with those feelings than sort of the hot potato share it with your partner because now you've just lobbed that into the space and into the relationship and all the trust and betrayal issues. And so, listen, I think you have to really speak with your husband more to understand how or why he felt as if he couldn't bring this information to you because, you know, I can only imagine that he probably was really attracted to you and uh, felt very clear in his own decision um, and feelings sexually for you. And imagine that if you knew this piece of information, perhaps it would have prevented your relationship from moving further. That doesn't make his choice right or that he didn't give you the option to sort of weigh in in on that. Um, but I think for where you are right now, listen, you, it's going to be a series of conversations. You think it's just letting them know how or why, you know, finding out in this way, how it's so unsettling to you and all the questions that is popping up into your mind. And I also think that when and if you're not getting any closure, and it feels as you sort of said, sick of obsessing, that you know, go speak to a qualified uh, professional. And I would certainly sort of refer you to ASEC, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. By state, they uh, list qualified um, sex educators and counselors because I think that talking this through and not being in your own silence uh, would be incredibly helpful. And I also think to recognize that there's a lot of resources, including like bisexual.org, that will give you more information of understanding in the sense what does it mean that he has been in his lifetime bisexual because i think that often unfortunately there's still so much stigma about you know what does that mean um but i think that for you it's really digging a little bit deeper and seeing what other feelings are getting kicked up for you and knowing that you know you're not alone you a can talk to your husband about this and as I said, there's so many qualified professionals that can help you. So I'm glad that you're aware that you're distressed by this because that's what's going to help you to take action. And as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I loved what she had to say about communication and keeping that going and recognizing that there can be stigmas that affect us even when we really, really don't want them to be affecting us. What would you have to add to that, Lori? Gosh, not much. Every time I thought of something to add, she would speak it. So that was really beautiful. Um, Yeah, so thank you, Dr. Megan. Um, It may not have come out the way that you wanted it to or the timing that you wanted to, but beautiful that he did trust you enough to say these things. And again, I think that the to reiterate what Megan said, the best thing probably to do is keep the conversation going and to find somebody that can sit with the two of you and help you understand where he's at, where you're at, that your feelings are very valid, that um, that it's that it's all okay, and that it, you know, we go we go through these things and we we change who we are through the years. I mean, not very few of us stay steady, the exact same person that we were when we married our partner. Um, not saying he's changed, but I mean to be able to have the whatever it took for him to be able to come out and say these things to you is is a show of trust from him. So, yeah, find somebody to talk to. I think that will really help you, and that will take away the power that this has over you that's causing you to obsess. I love what you said about this being a sign of increased trust, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. because that says a lot about their relationship, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that we do, we do change, and our partners change, our relationships change, mm-hmm. and, and, and having those conversations and knowing that vulnerability 
is such a beautiful and very difficult part of of love and sex mm-hmm. and all of these things, you know. And it's amazing to me how that will still keep coming up. Hopefully it does, because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, I think we're not as connected if we're if we're not ever feeling anything uncomfortable because we're all growing, hopefully, and, right. and all of that. Right. So I know you are non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. Have you always been since your first marriage? Was that like a conscious decision as you started your sexuality work? Um, I've been non-monogamous in the relationship I'm in now. My first marriage was very monogamous, um, very religious and monogamous. Monogamous. Um, my second marriage, from the time that we met, um, he was seeing three or four different women at the time, and um, we were just kind of friends with benefits. And he told me up front that he had been married a couple times before and that he found himself feeling very stifled in those relationships. And as soon as they were over, he would, you know, be non-monogamous again and and that he knew that that's who he was as a person and he shared that with me up front and I really wasn't sure how to you know how to take that because I hadn't ever been in that scenario before um yeah so I, you know I, I don't know messed with my head a little bit because I thought if you really love somebody you wouldn't share them you know who does that and um realizing over time that it wasn't about him sharing me it was more about just loving me fully enough to let me completely be myself and express myself however with whomever feels good to me. And he's just always been this anchor that's been there. Mm, That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. We were talking a bit earlier about how we sometimes as human beings might feel judged for either being monogamous or Mm non-monogamous, you know, in, in sex positive, um, atmosphere, you know, some of my friends who are sex positive who are monogamous, they said they feel intimidated by the culture. They think it's going to be assumed that they're non-monogamous or non-monogamous people. uh, There's so much judgment, you know, it's just cheating, for example, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, I think there's still so, so kind of little broad understanding. So could you just kind of speak to that decision? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I lead a group here in L.A., the Sex Positive Los Angeles group. And we have people that come in every month at orientation. And invariably, there's always a few people that identify as monogamous. And they they tend to say exactly that as they introduce themselves. And they've said, you know, well, we're not polyamorous yet or we're not non-monogamous yet. And it's important to remind people that there's no hierarchy here. There's no we're better than you and we somehow have this graduate level education because we're so much more evolved. Um, The relationship style that works for you and with whoever you're involved in is the one that works. So if you're able to work that and make the communication work and and make things work between two people, um, between yourself, say you're asexual or you just want to be solo by yourself for a while or you have five partners, um, whatever it is, as long as it's ethical and it works for you and whomever you're involved with is the right one and is the evolved one. Beautifully said. Thank I you. love that. I love that. I think it's really, really interesting. And I think monogamy, too, is defined differently by everyone. And so is mm-hmm. non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. So I think, do you feel like those conversations are... Be- becoming more important because there's some more acceptance. You know, I I feel like it should be an ongoing conversation for for any couple because, you know, Kate Scalisi, a sex educator, was on last week and she was saying how for some people, 
watching porn is is not considered okay in their monogamy. Right. Um, for other people, it's just not having intercourse with another person. For some people, you can cuddle with another person mm-hmm. outside the relationship. You just can't kiss. Like mm-hmm. so, there's all these, and the same thing with non-monogamy. Like because because you're married. Mm-hmm. And non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you feel like those conversations are becoming more important, and are they happening? Yeah, they are, and it's always changing. So, I meet people all the time that just say, "Oh, you and your husband just have it figured out," and it's like, "Well, we have it figured out today. <laughs> What's well, working right now?" But um, <clears throat> he and I can feel, and most of the time we do, we feel that we are very monogamous with each other because we are the primary relationship within each other. Um, he doesn't have actual relationships outside of us. I have had in the past a boyfriend here or there, so I would be polyamorous, whereas he still feels that he and I are monogamous. And, you know, I feel like I'm monogamous with him because I have this life that we've built together with him, but I'm polyamorous between he and my partner. But then he and I might go to a party that is primarily like a sex party, and then, you know, we'd be with a swinging community. So some people might say, oh, you're swingers. And then, you know, he, I have completely pulled out of the BDSM scene because since doing the pro-dom work for a little while, it just felt like work. So I had my fill and done. But he grew into, now he likes that. So he is in the BDSM culture. So it's like there's all this overlap that's taking place where some people might say, oh, you identify as a kink couple. It's like, well, in that instance during that time and on some realm. And, oh, you're polyamorous. Well, whoops, but with with this over here we are. And. You know, you're non-monogamous sometimes, but then we also are very monogamous with our daily life. And um, it's really hard to just put a label on your sexuality, on yourself, on your, you know, relationship configuration, any of it. Yeah. I think it's really important to give room to, to allowing those things to evolve and change also through time. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. huge. It's interesting how we try to make our, our culture tries to make everything about sex and sexuality very black and white. Mm-hmm. You're gay or you're straight. You're, you know, you're woman or you're man, uh, mm-hmm. you're kinky or you're vanilla, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where those terms, too, they mean different things to different people. And, and I love seeing it as a journey that you're on and you're sharing yeah. a journey and you just don't know where that's going to go. Do you find that the conversations when you when you, for example, wanted to be polyamorous? I imagine when, when it first comes to your mind, is that something that then you would immediately talk to your husband about? Has that generally come fairly easy? Do you feel like that's something that you can do well? It didn't always come very easily, um, but we both knew very, very young with us. We didn't have any role models for how do you live this life together. So you make a lot of mistakes, but we learned very, very young in our relationship that if there's something that's uncomfortable to talk about, that's the thing you need to talk about. So because it's not going to go away. It doesn't, you can't suppress it. It's just going to get bigger. Um, And myself, I don't use the word needing, but I do. I like having an additional partner. That's how I'm made. And he recognized that about me very early on. So for me to bring that to the table is something that he just like, yeah, that didn't surprise him. It would surprise me if he had something like that because his, his mistress is his art. Like that's where he puts his passion and wants to spend his alone time with. So Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Because most everyone, if not everyone, mm-hmm. has these passions that are not shared. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to sex, mm-hmm. it seems so much more complicated. I mean, and there are different complexities to it. But it's interesting that we are so much more easily accepting of 
many different passions as long as it doesn't go into this one particular area. Yeah. You know. We're very, very afraid of – there's something threatening about sexuality Yeah, to a lot of people. And there's um, a lot of misplaced power within sexuality. Like people have a hard time – not sexualizing caring. If somebody shows that they just care about you or they're helping you, then all of a sudden it must be, oh, he's really into you and he wants something more. Um, whereas there's not enough role models in society to just know that that's just another aspect of who you are and it's okay to express yourself how you want to and it's yeah. all good. Because there's so much shame and all these reasons for people to not be openly any of these things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, So there are no role models because there's so much fear and the fear gets validated every time you're mm -hmm. judged or mm -hmm. shamed or any of that. Well, and it's shown on TV. Like you can watch um, any documentary about sex workers or an open relationship, or you can watch any TV show about any of that. But somewhere in there, somewhere in there, they won't pan to, you know, one of the partners just working in the garden while the other one runs to Trader Joe's to pick up groceries for dinner. Instead, they pan to, well, there's this argument and, you know, the the upset of the relationship is because you paid more attention to her than you did to me or some kind of drama like that where, you know, not to say that couples aren't going to have those arguments, but most couples that are in a healthy non-monogamous relationship because communication is taking place, when they do fight, they fight about the same things that everybody else fights about. And you can be completely monogamous and still encounter jealousy. Yeah. So it's not that... Oh, well, you're in that lifestyle. That's why you yeah, have that. Yeah, that no, compartmentalizing not, mm -mm. again. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. That is so interesting. And so because we haven't talked about polyamory on the mm -hmm. show before, would you just explain the difference between polyamory and non-monogamy? Sure. Well, polyamory is more about love and relationships. It's kind of an interesting word because it means many loves from two different languages. Um, but it's it would be more like I have a love relationship with my husband and a love relationship with another person, male, female, trans, whatever, just another person. But I have very strong love feelings for both of these people or maybe three people. Um, polygamy, people are probably more familiar with that because through history and religion, people are familiar with that, with a man having many wives and those poor women. But that would be a form of polyamory because he would probably be loving the many different women. Um, but just being non-monogamy, there's so many different forms. Non-monogamy is more of an umbrella. Um, you could be just where you're open and you agree to let each other, that each other can just kind of see people for fun on the side. Maybe you're non-monogamous and you swing and you just go to parties and you swap now and then. Um, there's so many various forms. You could be polyandrous, where it's the woman has multiple male partners, but the husband does not. Um, yeah, the, the list goes on and on as far as non-monogamy goes. That's more of an umbrella. But polyamory is pretty specific in that it's actual relationships with other people, whether there's a hierarchy in those relationships or not. Yeah. It's so good to know that there are different terms for all these different things, mm -hmm. um, as much as the labels kind of don't matter, but at the same time, Knowing that if one exists, it means mm -hmm. you're probably not <laughs> the only one <laughs> or far exactly. from it, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. Uh, so you work a lot with groups. Mm -hmm. You teach. You lecture. Mm -hmm. What would you say is one of the most common questions you hear? 
Gosh, one of the most common questions I hear a lot of talk on how to communicate and navigate the relationship, whether it is polyamorous, swinging, non-monogamous of any realm, gay, straight, lesbian, doesn't matter, um, and jealousy. Those mm. are probably the two things that come up the most. Um, and it's interesting because people tend to think that those things are more common to one demographic or another, mm-hmm. everybody encounters those things. So if you're going to have a traditional marriage, man, woman, 2.4 kids and a dog, you're still going to need communication skills. And you're still going to encounter jealousy. Yes. Um, if you have a wife and um, two girlfriends and a boyfriend, you're going to need communication and jealousy that you're going to encounter that you need to discuss. Yeah. Um, so those skills are, are across the board, but they come up all the time. And what's one tip that you would provide as far as communicating for for somebody, regardless of the style of relationships they have, what is one piece that you feel is sort of missing or that could be particularly helpful? I think it goes back to the things that you're uncomfortable to talk about. Talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are many times that that somebody could, you know, going to jealousy, it could be maybe – your husband is on a date, maybe you're not monogamous, your husband's on a date and he comes home and you're feeling a little uh, jealous or whatever. And you don't have to fake that I'm so happy that you went out. It's okay to say, you know what, I need a little cuddling and attention over here. The same thing if maybe your husband worked really late that night and you're feeling a lack of attention there. It's okay to voice those things and to say the things that you need to your partner. Yeah. And it's important to be on the receiving end of that and to hear that when your partner's saying, this is what I need from you, to not roll your eyes and, and be defensive. No, not at all. To, but to understand this is them, they need this right now. And to just, you don't have to be accountable or defensive about anything, but to just offer what it is that they need and validate where they're at. Mm, so powerful. I love that because I think that it's natural for us to have a tendency to mm-hmm. be, I want to be the good partner and I want to be how they want me to be right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of thinking, you know what, I do actually need some extra encouragement and I may have, I may be carrying many feelings. I might be happy for you and really vulnerable and jealous at the same time. Completely. <laughs> and it's okay. hard to be the other partner and be thinking, um, what, you need this extra care from me, but I didn't do anything wrong. It's like, but I'm not saying you did anything wrong. And it's yes. really hard not to feel that that you have to offer something because they're upset with you in some way. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. establishing when you're not in those places that you can, when we get to these places, let's mm-hmm. let's try to take, like, relax because we get so tense, right? Yes. Gut, you get that rock in your stomach. Uh-huh. And you can feel when it's about to, like, burst open mm-hmm. and to just, like, <sighs> yeah. Take the power away because it's yeah. only going to build. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. true. So true. I would say the other question that I get often that just came to mind was, what about the children? Mm. What about the children? Because we have a lot of kids. Um, they're all grown now. But um, I once asked my youngest daughter what she thought about all of this because she grew up with, with um, you know, her parents in this lifestyle. But we never, we've never been blatant about anything around our kids, but we've never – hidden anything. So they've had other people that they've known that were important to us in their life, but it wasn't like they saw strangers coming and going. Um, but I asked her, you know, what she what she thought of the lifestyle she grew up with. And she said, honestly, mom, as long as I have a ride to the mall, I'm good. <laughs> 
And it just occurred, I mean, and that that sense of like her life is secure. She has what she, you know, needs out of her daily life. And yeah, yeah, it's fine. I love that. Yeah. And I love that you had those conversations mm-hmm. too. It sounds like she was really comfortable yeah, talking. They all are. Yeah. And I know you have one child who's, who mm-hmm. went into sex work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, do, do people ask you questions about that or have you ever felt, you know, because she's a dancer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you said that you were not surprised. No, no, because it's just who she is. She's very extroverted sexually, and she was in her power there, and she loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, people would ask how I felt about that, but as long as she's being safe and and taking care of herself, then, then that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Do whatever your passion is. Yeah. So what's uh, next for you as far as your wonderful dynamic career goes? Do you still jump no into idea. different? I love that. <laughs> is that half the yeah. fun? <laughs> I think so. I've been, I've just, I've never pursued anything. It's just always come to me. So whether it's been, um, you know, running the SPLA or working with the Chinese Sexological Association or what groups or lectures or anything. It's just kind of been when I get asked, that's where I go. So, and I like that. Awesome. Yeah. So if anybody wanted to work with you mm-hmm. or contact you, what's the best mm-hmm. kind of way to do so? Um, probably find me on Facebook under Dr. Lori Bennett Cook or the most incredible webpage that I could ever create about me. Um, Dr. Lori Bennett Cook on about me. That's about as techie as I get. So, yeah. Awesome. And SPLA. Yes. Sex Positive Los Angeles. You can find on Facebook. You can find on Meetup. And we have things happening all the time, almost daily events, whether they're lectures, group discussions, or events. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's such a joy. Such a pleasure. For a whole lot more sexy goodness, including sex toys, sexual health products, and more, hop over to PleasureChest.com or click their ad on my website. They are celebrating anal August, which makes me so very happy. Mm-hmm. Here are a couple of sweet deals going on right now. If you follow any of their accounts on Instagram, LA, New York, or Chicago, and show that you are following them at the register, you get $10 off any purchase of $50 or more through the rest of the month. And if you catch a Pokemon at any store, you get a free pocket rocket with any purchase. So very cool. And if you missed my recent interview with Sarah Tom Chesson at the LA store, definitely check that out. For more Girl Boner fun, visit augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org and be sure to sign up for occasional email updates. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes and consider leaving a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing week.